0: do that again. We're going to preach together next week or something. (laughs) You guys all seated and settled in? Come on. Alrighty. Oh, wow. We are absolutely honing in on the victorious nature of Christ. Can you guys feel how much you need that? on the inside of you every day, how much your church-going Christian life can be so full of pity and shame and everything else that is just not Jesus. And we are learning how to live in this brand-new born-again life, huh? Hey, so we're going to be back in the book of Colossians today, but before we get back there, I want you guys first to turn to Genesis chapter 3 with me. Let me set a precedence for our message today. Today's message is titled, Presence Over Principle. Presence Over Principle. Y'all let me know when you get to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. You there? It's. Did you find it okay, Herman? Aye. There you go. Aye. All right. Hey, so there were a few things that God's been putting on my heart this last week. Um it's been a really great time for us as as pastors, just getting getting to get alone with the Lord as families and then together as a team. And even every week. Um, just getting to be able to let him continue to develop the revelation that he's unraveling for us right now. And here are some of the things that just... Man, he, he was putting on my heart this week. And here's some of the things that I had down. First and foremost, it's that I believe that improper understanding of the work of Christ a.k.a. wrong Christology. Say wrong Christology. Christology. I believe that improper understanding of the work and life of Christ has caused the work and life of the church to become moralistic and principle-driven instead of driven by and aimed at presence. There's only one, we we have to be able to trace back to our roots why it is that on a national, even hemispheric level, I mean like we, we have an international movement for a long time now that's been battling against the genuine remnant of the body of Christ, aiming to make it completely philosophical, moralistic, and everything like that. And that's... Why, it's been precious to be able to look into the book of Colossians and to see all of the other ideologies that were at war against the real thing. Right? You guys remember hearing about some of these other ones like Gnosticism, Mithraism, Polytheism, hierarchies of both humans and of gods, moralism, intellectualism, all these nasty isms. Anything other than Jesus, right? Well, it's in those things that we start to see these false copies, these fraudulent faith systems that try to make themselves look a whole lot like the real thing. Man, it's almost like the apostolic leaders that wrote our New Testament knew what they were talking about. When they would say that you come with all of the principles, but none of the power. And they'd say, you guys might want to resolve this on your own, because when I come, I'm not coming with just words. I'm coming with power and authority from the Holy Spirit, and it's going to be solved the moment I walk in the room. So this is your opportunity to solve it yourself, is the types of things that the apostolic leaders who wrote our New Testament wrote to their churches. Because just like in Colossae, just like in Ephesus, and just like in Galatia, remnant church right here, we have some room to let the Lord continue to go deeper into our hearts, yeah? This, this is observed in our hardest of circumstances and when we are aiming to correct unchrist like behavior. In our hardest of circumstances, and when correcting unchrist-like behavior is when it's so easy to slip into moralism. Why? Because it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing when we get it wrong, right? It's embarrassing to our flesh. It's embarrassing among our friends. You're starting to maybe see why we're starting in Genesis chapter three today. These are the types of things that I have heard right here in this church and hit really close to home for me. Things like, my business hasn't had the success it should have. So he must be punishing me for that time I was hesitant to give him my tithes and offerings. Therefore, I must bring him extra offerings to appease his wrath. That baby hasn't showed up in our womb yet. So he must be punishing me for years of immorality. Therefore, I must not approach him like a son. Asking his father for a blessing because my past tells me I am not who he says I am. Beloved, that spouse hasn't shown up for me yet. Because I messed up the last relationship that I was in. Therefore, I better shut up, sit down, and self-deprecate in misery until I feel like I've paid my dues and prove to him I won't mess up this one. Today, we will be going through the book of Colossians, but I want you guys to be able to see this in Genesis chapter 3 first, because some of the things that Pastor Landon was laying out for you on Thursday, I hope you guys realized this is a subject that we've had fun as, uh, as pastors and as brothers tossing around between each other. Things like the Poneros system of rules and tiresome regulations. I hope you guys saw and let it hit on your heart Thursday night that maybe you've been looking at the wrong thing. Maybe you've been so focused on looking good before everybody else in the realm of moralism that you were actually dying the whole time trying to live in perfectionism. Does anyone else ever feel worn out trying to keep everybody around you happy, impressed, and think that you're qualified? Of all places, guys, I have been in churches my entire life in a generational ministry family, and I have never seen such a loving, interactive, genuine family inside of a church as this right here and yet all of you are so close to me in my life some closer than others but every I know every one of you in a meaningful way and yet we still have this right here in this church body And I will not let the enemy continue to cause my friends who have already given the authority of their life over to the kingship of Jesus continue to look miserable week after week after week because you're loved. You are beloved by the God who created you and you didn't have to do anything to earn it. You guys, remember the definition of that word "panaros" that Pastor Landon used for, to describe the bad eye in Luke 11. It's full of labors, annoyances, and hardships. Pressed and harassed by labors, bringing toils, annoyances, and perils of a time full of peril to Christian faith and steadfastness, causing pain and trouble. It can also mean physically diseased and blind. That's funny. Most of the time that we're having waves of physical sickness in the within the body of Christ, the same thing's going on in the spiritual among all of us. And now what we used to do is we used to be like, All right, who's watching stuff they're not supposed to be watching? Because we're all getting sick in the church. What what's sin? No, what if it's the system of legalism? That's causing us all to be sick as we all wear ourselves out trying to perform for one another. That will make you sick. That will cause you to not sleep well at night. That will cause you to, no matter how many times your friends lay hands on you and pray over you and prophesy over you, still not believe in those inner chambers of your heart that God really means what He's already said. You guys with me in Genesis chapter 3? I've got a lot more to say so we got to keep moving forward. Starting in verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God God has said, you shall not eat from it, or touch it, or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. For, God, for, when, the woman saw, for when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, wise. Start thinking already on the church in Colossae. All of the Gnosticism and intellectualism. This tree is good for making me wise. It says, it was desirable to make one wise. She took from its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from what? The presence. For those of you have Nasby at least... Probably others too. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Wow. You guys know that you can hide yourselves among the things that are meant to bless you and feed you, act like everything's okay, got a full belly, living it right there in the environment that God Himself placed you in and be hiding at the same time. Listen, your burdened conscience, guilt, and condemnation directed at other people actually has very little to do with actually breaking the rules themselves. Now, I know we want to sit there and be like, oh, I'm just so afraid to break the rules. No, you're, you're really not that afraid to break the rules. Otherwise, you wouldn't break them nearly as often as you do. It has everything to do, though, with the one who you must look in the face and confess to what you've done. Oh, when you hear those footsteps coming, then your posture changes. When you feel the presence enter the room, then it changes. We're going to get into more of this today, but let's start with this resonating in between your ears. You fear the presence of authority way more than you fear your own sinful nature desiring to sin. I'm going to say that one more time for you. You fear the presence of the authority of the Holy Spirit more than you actually fear breaking the rules himself. Because it is you having to face the broken relationship that is the consequence of what you've done. That's why most of us can't hold eye contact anytime we're getting into deep subjects with each other. You fear the presence of Holy Spirit authority, and so did your great-granddaddy Adam in the garden. In verse 9 it says, Then the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, to the serpent, to the serpent. He said, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain and childbirth. Pain was increased. She was not cursed like the serpent. Make sure you remember that. Your pain and childbirth. And pain you will bring forth children. Yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Then Adam Then to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. Wow. Not cursed are you, Adam. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil, in toil. Interesting. If you were to read the Septuagint of this, I'm sure it would say Poneros there. And toil you will eat you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread, till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now the man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and will live forever. Church, the ability to sin has always been in every celestial and mortal creature. I believe the ability and even propensity to disobey Yahweh is not the primary issue. We were all created with that same free will. But rather, the main issue is preferring to participate in Paneros, in the system of wearisome toil and regulations to cover ourselves, shift blame away. And we prefer this more than being back next to His side where we belong. Now that's freeing because some principles were put in place here. But I'm telling you today that that was never God's intention for the actual solution to the problem. Maybe it was a consequence, just like you might discipline a child in a moment, right? There's a moment of disobedience, and then there is a consequence and disciplinary action. But you, you know it's not fixing the big picture. You're just displaying the consequences that come immediately for that kind of behavior. We know that it's a long-term investment and that the only way that the, that the spankings on a child or that the verbal reprimanding of a child will work is if you also continue to sow good seed and nourish and nurture and cultivate that same child. Otherwise, we would just go around beating everybody and then we would all be acting right towards each other. Huh. It's funny, churches have been doing that professionally for a long time. Guys, today I'm telling you, and I'm going to prove to you and remind some others who might already know this, that the reconciliation of His creation in every circumstance has always been His heart and His preference over the weight of resulting consequences and regulations. It's always been the preference. However, there are things, there are consequences that do happen. But, church, when presence showed up in the garden, what happened? Mankind fled. What we do is we go in and we start fashioning fig leaves in the garments, trying, scrambling to hurry and cover up any insecurities, any shame, and any of anything else. This is the damage that was done among God's creation that He created in His likeness. Which is kind of funny because that's how Satan tempted Eve. To partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the first place. He says, God knows you will be like him. I mean, we were created in his likeness and in his image. Do you see why Pastor Mike has been preaching and teaching and counseling so many of you so much lately about knowing who you are in God's eyes? Because that was the key issue here with Eve. It wasn't just the act of disobedience. What did, how, did, how did God handle this? He walks back in the garden and He says, where are you? He didn't say, get out. He said, where are you? He came looking. He came running. This isn't just a parable in the Gospels, church. He has been doing this since the beginning of creation, and you have to know that we have a propensity to run away from presence because some sick, sadistic part of us prefers principles and regulations like like chains and a yoke of slavery over us. And that is not what Christ died for, and it's not what He came to deliver us into. He delivered us out of that. He didn't come to only deliver you out of your addiction to fill in the blank. He came to deliver you from the guilt and came to deliver you from all of the punishment that the law demands comes with the very sinful actions that you've done. We're like, well, He came to forgive our sins so that we could go to heaven after we die. No! We're going to keep getting into this. Remember, church, the only real boundary line Adam was given was a restriction against the knowledge of good and evil. Which is apparently all of the fraudulent faith systems that were trying to intercept a real movement of the Holy Spirit in the church of Colossae. God had placed Adam in a place not of restriction. He placed him in a sanctuary. In a garden called pleasant intimacy. That doesn't sound like a prison to me. And He gave him authority over all of the creation. So whenever, whenever rules were given about do not partake in that, it wasn't because He was withholding a pleasure. From him. It was because he was withholding something that you would think is a pleasure but will actually destroy you. This is where mankind then embarked on its first effort for living in the knowledge and practice of moralism, being able to distinguish for yourself the difference between right and wrong. That we may make a law unto ourselves for discerning and acting upon the difference between good and evil. So, what now today? In Romans chapter 12, verse 9, it says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. There are many great things that the apostle wrote there in Romans chapter 12, all the way through verse 20, but verse 21. Smacked me right in the heart Thursday night. It says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You had a whole visual given to you a few weeks ago of what overcoming evil with good looks like. It does not look like surgically removing evil from your own life. It's funny, I've, I, we've been trying to do that our whole lives did not it just keep splintering off into another infectious wound over and over again? Like Colossae, Rome too was a first century church filled with Gentile, especially Rome, specifically Roman Gentile people. Could the apostolic leadership of this era have been confused? Could they have been more spiritual in their teachings to an extremely moralistic, just, and philosophic group of people? That's funny. It's just like here in America, right? You can see how much this culture has translated. We got people running around everywhere that are Christians, so they say, but it's because they're good people. And every now and then they'll walk into a church and they celebrate Christmas and all the other holidays. So then they're a Christian. Hmm. Just how much can the saying of verse 21 be overused by moralistic driven Christians and agnostic philosophers alike? Track with me here. How much can that verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good? You know how many times today, you can see it on social media, you can see it on the internet, you can see it in movies and in films, you'll hear people like, man, we just have to make the world a better place. We just have to be good people. We just have to take all the evil out of the world. Agnostic philosophers and moralistic driven Christians will all find themselves in the same boat and feeling even like they're on the same team. When so-called Christians and agnostic or just simply theistic philosophers begin to agree, not only in the realm of practice of like the good deeds that, you know, that are objectively good in the public eye, and the, but also in principle they begin to agree, we can see the very degradation of proper Christology. Because now it's about good deeds. Now it's about being a good person. Overcoming evil with good. What does that mean, church? Because Remnant Church, this family of people right here, was not brought here for you to come in and stand half spiritually numb inside every other Sunday morning and come to another service. We were placed here ordained by our Father in Heaven to overcome the darkness with His very light. Emanating straight out of us because He abides in us. Are we not meant to overcome evil with good here in this place? Now, today I want you to be educated, equipped, and encouraged to be able to go out and do that. Put simply, church... Those who claim to be of Christ but live according to principle and not His presence are the very manifestation of the light that has become like darkness according to Luke chapter 11 that Pastor Landon was teaching you on Thursday. Do you as a son or daughter of God find yourself measuring yourself or others according to rules, regulations, and principles? Oh, well, I wouldn't have done it like that. Well, that's just that's just embarrassing the way that she did that. Well, let me start to get that scowl on your face and that critical heart beating in your chest and frustration because you're becoming more annoyed over the way that they are sh- becoming ashamed to you more than you are brokenhearted inside that one of your fellow family members here in this place is even an inch further away from their Father in Heaven than they were the day before. This is among the greatest of fallacies against our faith. Moralism is to interpret or explain as giving lessons on good and bad character and conduct. But yet Romans 12 9 says, let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. That sounds like moralism, but it's not. So what is good then? It's funny, even whenever Yeshua in his ministry was called good, he said, why do you call me good teacher? There is only one who is good and that is my father in heaven. This isn't a good deed that I'm doing. Good is the word that characterizes the very essence and presence of my Father. So, going out and just feeding the poor is not good in the eyes of Yeshua. Not inherently. Or what about asceticism? I'll define that one for you. Severe self-discipline and avoidance of all forms of indulgence, typically for religious reasons. Oh, I can't eat that. I can't drink that. I can't touch that. But Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So if topics titled moralism and asceticism sound so much like genuine divine truths in these respective Scriptures, what's the difference? He is the difference. It's not a matter of what is what I want you guys to be able to take home in confidence today. It's not a matter of what. It's a matter of who. Because you can go to church every Sunday Come to all of our Thursday meetings, have once a month meetings with one of your pastors, gen- generally live a pretty tidy Christian life and do all this kind of stuff, and have no presence. And you kind of feel like you're doing okay, but you're also really worn out on the inside, and you're really not proud. Of what's going on in your life all at the same time this is how the enemy keeps us in this position of just feeling pathetic and unable to approach our father who has made every effort to show us how much he loves us romans 12 21 commands to not be overcome by evil but to overcome evil with good what then is good our concept of moralism that we were never supposed to operate in since the creation of mankind no we must walk away today understanding that if we're going to see that sin problem and our homes healed, if we're going to see that orphan spirit redeemed in one of our friends, if we're going to see the wicked and the lost in our community brought into the household of Jesus, then we are never, ever, ever going to see these things accomplished inside of a system that God never ordained us to live in. You making them behave better so that they don't embarrass themselves, will not save them. For those of you who live in community, you got more than one family living under one roof, or you got multiple single women living together, or multiple single men living together, and you're just tired of the bad behavior of one of your brothers or sisters in Christ, simply making them act better by pointing out to them their bad behavior does not fix the issue. This changes on a very practical level how we handle evangelism. It changes how we handle pastoring. It changes how we handle our friendships with each other when one of us is falling apart and we are in desperate need of help. Because it's not coming in and giving you every logical and wise answer to every single problem that you have. It's bringing presence, not principles. Because the presence of God comes in and He does something. Giving you empty, powerless principles is just that. Empty and powerless. Leaving you wanting another day, another year of your life. Church, I want us to start focusing on approaching one another in our worst moments with bringing presence into the environment rather than another Things like, you did that wrong again. You did it wrong again. You did it wrong again. What's wrong with you? Say, we're going to stop right here. And we're going to put, we're going to tell Jesus he is back on the thrones of our hearts. And we're going to repent forever asking him to step off of that throne. Because when he's back in authority and his presence comes in the room, everything is resolved. In Colossians chapter 2, you can turn there with me now. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. It says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. In him. In him. Not like him, in him. Having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him. Not next to Him, not around Him, in Him. And established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Man, I promise you guys, if you have, if you're having a problem, with loving yourself the way that the Father loves you, and you are beating up on yourself, and you just can't even stand yourself, stop and just thank Him for how good He is. For just the way that He made you. I am practicing doing this myself in my life because I have spent far too many days and years of my life complaining at Him for all the idiosyncrasies that I have that I don't feel like people like about me. I'm not talking about your sin nature. I'm talking about the way your Father created you. It says in verse 8, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. What philosophy and empty deception, you might ask? According to the traditions of men. Go home. Today after church, when you're resting and about to take a nap, and look up the blue letter Bible word for tradition. You'll have a fun little rabbit hole you'll go down. I don't have time for it today. According to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. So this part right here in verse six, in verses 6-8 through eight, says, in Him, in Him, and in your faith. Not in the law, in His teachings, in knowledge, in wisdom, in moral perfectionism, but in Him. Not according to tradition, according to elementary principles, but according to Christ. Not according to the teachings or behavior of Christ. There were were a whole group of guys who tried to name drop Jesus and talk like Him. That got their butts whipped up on in the book of Acts. Go look for it. It's a fun story. For in Him, verse 9 says, all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. And in Him you have been made complete. Whole. In Him you have been made complete. You have been made whole. And He is the head over all rule and authority that will tell you exactly why you don't feel whole on any given day. It's because there has been an authority shift not in your favor. You and I, we can take that authority back in our lives. And we know exactly why we start to not feel whole now. Multiple occasions over the past few weeks where disorder was observable, in an environment, and every one of us ha- ha- had the opportunity to revert back to our legalistic predispositions, to start binding up and caging each other, and more rules and more regulations instead of stopping everything and declaring that He is the one on the throne. This will solve every one of your fights in your marriage, every one of them. Stop everything. Declare He is on the throne. Both parties submit their hearts to Yeshua. And His presence will come. And you invite Him into that moment, and He will come and decide everything for you. we got to stop... We, we have to get into this place of stopping everything and declaring that He's the one on the throne and that His face is what we want to see more than the quickest fix to our problems. Yeah. And resolution in our unity with one another more than just having all the answers. Yeah. If you, Adam, and I really believed that the fullness of the deity was standing right in front of us, proper Christology, We would go running to Him instead of running away from Him. But no, shame tells us the better answer is under a fig leaf of pity. What if I told you God Himself knew He wasn't giving the ultimate solution He desired when He covered Adam and Eve in the animal skins? What if I told you that the entirety of Torah was never to gauge and prove how much you loved Him? That's not why He gave that system. but rather the very system he designed to show you that your efforts would never be enough that there was no way you could purchase what he had for you but that in his presence his grace is fully sufficient and in the and in the spirit of being transparent today I'll tell you exactly what about a moment that I've had with Pastor Devin where I found myself in tears and brokenhearted before Him, recounting a time not so far away from today where I really sat in the presence of God, brokenhearted and angry, and just to be honest with my God in that moment about how I was feeling in my heart, say, Jesus, I don't know if Your grace really is sufficient for me. I know it's objectively sufficient, but I don't feel like it today. And quite frankly, I haven't been feeling like it in a while. Now, I've since been restored in the Spirit of God and by great brothers and fathers in the faith. But church... We have to believe that the fullness of the deity found in him and the grace that comes with him really, truly is sufficient. You need not any answers outside of him. There is no other clever methodology that's going to solve your problem without his presence in the room with you. Your wheels will spin in that mud the rest of your life until that presence gets right there in your room with you. Verse 11, and in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. (laughs) A celestial circumcision that we were not able to do ourselves in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with Him through faith in the working of God, He worked to raise you back up. You couldn't do it. He worked to make sure you would be raised up with Him. Raised up with Him through what? Faith. Your faith in the working of God who raised Him up from the dead. This is a removing of the flesh that we were never able to accomplish with our own physical hands. Verse 13, When you were dead in your transgressions and of the circumcision of your flesh, flesh, He made you alive together with Him. Alive together with Him. Having forgiven us all of our transgressions. Having canceled out the certificate of debt. Consisting of decrees against us which was, the, which was hostile to us. Church, just how much it means to me to be reading this passage in past tense changes everything. Not, He is canceling my debt. He has canceled my certificate of debt yeah. that was out to get me. It says in verse 15, I'm sorry, the rest of verse 14 says, And He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When He had disarmed, disarmed, disarmed the rulers and authorities, He made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through Him. Therefore, Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement. That's the beating yourself up thing and the worship of the angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with a growth which is only from God. If you have died with... the If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of this world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to such decrees, such as, do not handle, do not taste, and do not touch, which all refer to things destined to be perished with use, in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom. And self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body but are of no value against fleshly indulgence you want to get fleshly indulgence out of your life do you want to see all of your fleshly indulgences that you fall to out of your life do you you want to see it gone it will not happen by us continuing to handcuff ourselves, blindfold ourselves, gouge our eyes out, and flog ourselves until we die. That is not how you stop the fleshly indulgences. How you do it is that you fully drink of Christ. You fully... You fill... Your body, you feel your spirit man, you feel your soul, you fill your earthly body with the goodness of God. And that is what will make you not want to go satisfy those fleshly indulgences. That's funny. We've made it so complicated for so long. And the work of Christ has made it so simple for us. I'm not saying it's easy, but I am saying to you today that it's simple. And you have to believe it's more simple than you're making it because how has it worked for you so far? Mark chapter 7, verse 5 says, The Pharisees and the scribes asked Him, Why do Your disciples not walk according to the traditions of the elders, but eat their bread with impure hands? And he said to them, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts or the principles of men. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. He was also saying to them, you are experts at setting aside the commandments of God in order to keep your tradition or your principles, what you find appropriate. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever I have that would help you is korban, that is to say, given to God, You no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. Thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down, and do many things such as that. And how he's speaking to these teachers of, of the law. Jesus says, listen to me and you'll understand. There is nothing Outside the man which can defile him, if it goes into him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defile him. Because it does not go into his heart, but to his stomach and is eliminated. Therefore he declared all foods clean. And he was saying, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles him. And verse 23 says, all these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. If the problem is originating on the inside, church, if our problem is on the inside, why in our right minds or redeemed souls do we believe that restrictions on the outside are going to fix the bigger problem? You're going to handcuff yourself and that's it. You're going to find yourself in your own jail cell that you built for yourself. Never getting to live in the freedom that Christ paid for and still sinning in your mind and in your heart the whole time. we got to get filled with Christ. we got to let Him in every single part down there in our hearts. And whenever we start to see any behavior contrary to that of the Holy Spirit working through us, we can stop and assess. Man, Maybe there's a part of my heart that I need to make sure that I am ripping open the door for him to come in. Because the try harder thing that we've been preaching on for a few months still doesn't work. Right? It doesn't work. You just go right back to it again a few weeks or a few months later. But maybe just rip that door open and say, it ends right here. Jesus, this part of my heart that I have been guarding from you, it is all yours. I'm done with it. It's yours. I love you too much, Jesus, to continue to withhold myself from you. We're going to close with this. Just listen to me. The same Jesus who says this in Matthew ten thirty three is the same Jesus who's working with a much bigger picture. In Matthew 10.33, Jesus says, But whoever denies Me before men, I will also deny him before My Father who is in heaven. Those are strong words. What about Matthew chapter 26, verse 31? Yeshua said to them, Tonight you will all lose faith in Me. To His disciples. As the Tanakh says, I will strike the shepherd dead and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go out ahead of you into, the, into Galilee. I will never lose faith in you, Peter says, even if everyone else does. Yeshua, Yeshua said to him... Yes, I tell you that tonight before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Even if I must die with you, Peter says, I will never disown you. And all of the disciples said the same thing. Well, not one of them died with Him on a cross next to Him. And only one was found in the crowd holding Jesus' mother. But what about John chapter 21? Because so far, this isn't looking very good for us. It's not looking very good for Peter. It sounds like he has already been disowned by Jesus before his father. But this is where the the black and white logical rules and regulations and principles do not apply to an entire work of reconciliation of a father with his children. Pastor Mike has said it before. If, if I were a judge and my child were to refer to me by judge and not father and operate with me in that relationship, that would be awkward. That would be awkward. Yet, we do it all the time. I know for a fact that Jesus says, said during His ministry there on, here on the earth at this time, just like what God Himself did throughout all of our Tanakh, they said things like, you're just a Gentile dog. Why would I throw my bread to you? Do you really think that Jesus thought of that woman that way? But according to their traditions and according to their principles there, that woman had no right to be that close to Him. But Jesus quotes such a thing. But what does that do in the one whose heart is stirred to go and get as close to presence as possible? It makes them more hungry. It says, I will eat every crumb that you have to offer me. I won't let rules and regulations hold me back from you. If I have to run on to Mount Sinai and I'm going to die because a rule was stated that no one else will go up, then I would rather risk it all to get to see your face. Come on, guys. The, our Bible Bibles full of rules and regulations that made men and women think that it kept them from the presence of God. But when kings who didn't have the right to eat the bread of presence went and ate the bread of presence, was, was his God mad at him? Did his God hate him? Or what about whenever he accidentally reveals himself a little bit, when dancing in joy before the Ark of the Covenant? Was his God angry at him? We have a lot of rules and regulations for this stuff, though. John chapter 21, verse 17. Then Jesus asked him again, Peter, son of John, do you have great affection for me? Peter was saddened by being asked the third time and said, My Lord, You know everything. You know that I burn with love for You. Jesus replied, Then feed My lambs. Peter, listen, when you were younger, you made your own choices and you went where you pleased. But one day when you were old, others were. Others will tie you up and escort you to where you will not choose to go. And you will spread out your arms. Jesus said this to Peter as a prophecy of what kind of death he would die for the glory of God. And he said, Peter, follow me. Do you remember where Peter, John, and all the other guys were at right before this moment? They were on fishing boats. Because they hadn't seen Jesus in a few days since a crucifixion and burial happened. Do you remember the first time Jesus found them? On fishing boats. And what did He say to them? Follow Me. I will make you fishers of men. But the legalism that the enemy so desperately wants us to operate in and wants us to live under is an improper understanding of something like Matthew chapter 10, verse 33. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Yes, that is true for the one who ultimately denies him completely. But that moment where you embarrassed yourself because you denied him and made a foolish decision, and then now you spend days, weeks, months, or even potentially the rest of your life just gleaning from the edges at best, maybe even falling out of the fold. Because you can't get back in His presence again because you feel like you already sealed the deal. This is what we're seeing with proper Christology removed from our theology. There there was a separation that happened in Genesis chapter 3. There was a failure by Peter and every other disciple other than John. And Jesus is standing on the shore waiting for them, calling out to them, and already had a fire with fish ready for them. Sitting there. And He says to them all over again, follow Me. Guys, I want you to be able to leave today knowing in your heart that whenever you have those moments where you feel like you have fallen, whenever you feel like you goofed up once again today, whenever you feel like you are on a deep level, a failure to your family, a failure to your spouse, a failure to your children, just simply not good enough, that that is absolutely not who your Father in Heaven has said that you are. And that is not what Yeshua came and purchased for you to live the rest of your life in. Can you all stand with me? We're going to pray together and end this out. Jesus, I am am filled with the very gratitude. I'm filled with the very gratitude that Your Scripture says that I should be filled with right now. And I thank You for this family that You have brought together in this place. And we say together in agreement today that this will not be... that this family, this, this church of people right here in this room will not be the thing that the enemy has made so many other places called churches today. <laughs> God, we believe for and we prophesy over this church today, life and life abundantly according to the freedom that You have given us, Jesus. God, the, we will no longer see Each other. We will no longer see our friends bound up in shame and self abasement and self deprecation, but rather filled with the knowledge, filled with the presence of your love every day. Jesus, we believe that. Not only are you moving on hearts right now and that people are having those things broken off of their lives right now in this room, but that you are doing a work in this land where we as a church will get to be that city set on a hill, an example of the light and not a lamp that's hidden under fig leaves of pity and shame. God, we say we're not ashamed. We're not ashamed. We're not ashamed of you. And we're not ashamed of ourselves because you're not ashamed of us. Jesus, we're believing for a a move of. The kind of love that Peter had for you, that he spoke three times. For every single time that he denied you, he professed with his mouth his love for you. And you said, That's enough. That's enough. God, we're laying down today that Poneros system where we feel like we have tribulations and trials the rest of our life according to the measure of our failures. When you wanted a confession of love from Peter according to the measure of his failures. And you came to him to come and get it. Jesus, we say thank you today. We say that we're filled with gratitude for the way that you have always been coming after us. Just like we were singing and just like Devin was prophesying. Lord, we, we believe that today. And we are thankful. We are filled with gratitude. And Jesus, we're saying that we're going to live in that freedom that You have given us. Amen. We're laying down all the additional expectations. Jesus, we are coming after You. Not moral su- superiority. Not even perfect theology, God. Because I believe we'll find those things fully in Your presence. God, we love You. And we proclaim that Your Holy Spirit (laughs) is redeeming an entire community from the bondage of a system of legalism and moralism, and that we just might get to see what You paid for, Jesus, is the orphan-spirited sons and daughters Running around not knowing who they are, getting to come into the fold and the family and be found in a place that they get to call home for the first time in their lives. Jesus, we thank you for that, that you've done that for us. And we say that we're going to go and do that for others. Not lay upon them rules and regulations that we can't even hold up ourselves, but lay upon them the same spirit of adoption that you did for us. God, we love you. And we thank You for all of these things. In Your name, Jesus. Amen.